in Genesis 12, uh, I'll mention it in the sermon, but it has a relation uh, to our passage from this morning as well. Uh, our passage this morning, uh, a couple of you weren't here, but 1 Samuel 21, where David uh, goes before Ahimelech, deceives him in order to get bread and then get a sword, and then he also deceives Achish, the king of Gath. Uh, and you'll see as we read Genesis 12 that Abraham, or Abram still at this time, uh, does his own sort of uh, righteous deception. So we'll read Genesis 12 and 2 Corinthians 7, and then our sermon will be uh, from Genesis 12. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance they had gathered, and all the souls they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. There he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. It came to pass when he was come near into Egypt, and he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will say, Save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and he entreated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep and oxen, and he asses, and men servants, and maid servants, and she asses, and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore, behold, thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 7, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. 
I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For when we were come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God, that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were before a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore we were comforted in your comfort. Yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all these things to you in truth, even so our boasting which I made before Titus is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant towards you, Whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. There are a few chapters in the Old Testament as pivotal to understanding the rest of Scripture as Genesis 12. It begins... well. The end of chapter 11 in Genesis begins, but really Genesis 12 is the beginning of the story, the life, the calling of Abram, who would, of course, become Abraham. Abraham is referenced several times in the Gospels. He is also referenced to plenty in the pastoral epistles. If you look at Galatians, his name comes up. It would be interesting to count and see how close the number of times his name appears as it compares to Moses, though I'd imagine that Moses would take the win for most mentions. What I want to do tonight is look at some of the basic themes of Genesis 12 to see if we can discern some of the reasons for its central role in the rest of Scripture. The first thing I want to talk about is how Abram experiences the call of God. He is called from a place that was not his home, to a new place that would be his home. God, in his call of Abram, uproots him. Notice he says in the very first verse, the Lord had said unto Abram, that's a reference back to chapter 11, 
Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. So leave the place of your birth, leave the place that you had lived, and go to this place that I'm going to show you. The implication is that God is going to give it to him. It is in or out of that land that God would give Abram, excuse me, yes, that God would give Abram, but Yes, that God would give Abram, that God would cause him to be a great nation. It is in that land and out of that land that God would fulfill and fill out these promises. That place that he was called to go to would be the location of Abram's reception of these blessings. This, This idea is so important because Abram had to obey. He had to believe the promises of God. This place is so important because it was a matter of obedience. Notice that the blessings did not come before Abraham went to Canaan, but they began to come once he went to Canaan, once he heeded the Lord's call in order to receive these blessings. So that's the first thing. Abram receives the call of God and he responds in obedience and faith. And there must have been great cost to him. I mean, some of you in this room have moved recently. And how complicated that must be, right? I don't know the half of it, right? But imagine, right, in an older world where things are much different and much more complicated in these kinds of things. People didn't move back then, right? They were where they were from. They lived where they lived. But God here calls Abram to take himself, and we're told in the text that he takes uh, his family, he brings Lot and his family and all their substance that they had gathered, all the souls that they had gotten in Haran, this multitude, as it were, goes from Haran, or ultimately all the way back from Ur of the Chaldees, if you look back at chapter 11, and they're to go to Canaan. Abram receives the call of God, and he responds in obedience and faith. This is very similar to the way that we receive the call of God, to obedience and faith in our own lives. And we begin to receive and inherit the blessings when we obey his call by his word. Again, the language, Lord, the Lord had said unto Abram, just as the Lord says to us from his own word. Then when Abram arrives in the land of Canaan, he and his family, they're not alone. God does not bring him to a land that is clear of all difficulty. Just as when he sets our path of sanctification before us, it is not clear of all difficulty. When he arrives, the Canaanites were still, or were then, in the land. Those people whom they would be uh, compelled to drive out, whom God promised he would drive out through them, they yet remained in the land. And as this, this scene begins to develop, the second scene, as it were, the first scene is the call. The second is Abram and his his whole people's arrival in Canaan, worship begins to move into the focus, into the foreground as Abram begins to see the faithfulness of God who had called him. He's begun to see this land. He knows now, maybe he had some doubt before this moment, you don't know, uh, but he knows now that God is not a liar, that the God who told him to move to a place he'd never been, a place he'd never seen, maybe never even heard of, that he's going to move here, and now he knows that God is not a liar. He believes, he has reason to believe now. He has had his faith proven, and he's moved to worship. 
He constructs an altar at this new place. And did you notice that one of the places is called Bethel? You know what Bethel means? House of God, right? That Abram comes to this special place of communion with God. He believed God. He obeyed God's word. And that's not the only blessing he gets, though. The altar is constructed not until the Lord appears to Abram. We're not told what he looked like, what form it took, whatever it was. It was a, some kind of manifestation. But notice the difference. In the beginning, God spoke to Abram. Abram obeyed. Then Abram goes. And then God appears to him. God appears to Abram. And then he makes this altar of worship. Again, in the initial phase of the text, the Lord said, but here the Lord appears. His appearing, notice when it happens. It is not before Abram's obedience, but it is in some way due to it, to bless his faith, as it were. This brings us to the second thing. Remember, the first was Abram experiencing the call of God. And the second is Abram receives this blessing from God. And he responds in worship. God spoke. Abram believed and obeyed. God appears. Abram worships. And it's so helpful to kind of draw out the basic units of what's happening in the text because when we read the Old Testament, a lot of times it can feel very foreign. But the movements in this text are very much the movements of our own lives as Christians. As I hinted at, this picture of Abram coming into the land is very much a picture of faith and obedience and then sanctification. Because there's going to be many difficulties and trials because of the Canaanites. God spoke to him. He believed and obeyed. God appears. And then Abram worships. Isn't that what we do? We don't think of God appearing in this way, but we do experience the blessings of believing and obeying. He encourages us along the way in our faith. And then we respond again and again in worship, just as Abram did. This is something like our path of sanctification and our maturity in Christ. We begin simply with the Lord's call to us. We begin to move in faith and obedience, and then the Lord grants blessing on top of blessing for responding to him accordingly, and it stirs us to worship. So Abram, this the second point, he receives blessing from God because of his faith and his obedience, and he responds to that blessing with worship. I want to step aside for just a moment, kind of away from a list, as it were, though there are uh, a couple of three points to to make now. Um, I want to draw out some parallels of Abram to Adam. Because Abram and his covenant with God is basically a restart, right? What has happened between the fall and this passage? The flood, right? God had completely purged the earth. And he had renewed his covenant with Noah, but the nations aren't really in view in the covenant with Noah in the way that they are here. Remember that God had told Adam to fill the earth and multiply. And Abram, what is he told that God is going to do through him? He's going to bless the nations. That is to say, he's going to fill the earth, right? Similar to what he called Adam to do. Remember, Abram means what? Father, right? Adam means man, basically. God calls this father from Ur, from Haran. You can see the end of chapter 11 if you want to see more details on that. And in this calling, Abram has a barren wife. 
we're told in the end of chapter 11. Remember, I mean, of course, you know the story where Abram and Sarah are, are given the child and she laughs and all that that goes on with Isaac. Now, Eve, she was not barren, but I think the imagery here is pointing back to something like the original earth, a completely uninhabited place like the womb of Sarah, similar to the original earth that was formless and void before God spoke life into it, this completely uninhabited place that would require the working of God in order to bring life because it was no longer from uh, Adam and Eve that this would come, but it is through this other womb, this other woman, this other relationship, this other marriage that God is going to fill and populate the earth, and it's found in Abram and Sarah. There are many connections you could draw, maybe find some yourself, but it's clear what the Lord is doing. He's restoring this initial commission that he gave to Adam, and he's giving it to Abram. He's renewing this covenant. Adam was the original man, and we can say Abram is the original father. But there's also another parallel to make. Abram mirrors the people of God with a journey down into Egypt. Right? But more importantly... He mirrors the Lord Jesus. Do you remember this in the Gospels when Jesus goes down into Egypt himself with Joseph and Mary when he was still quite young in order to avoid the working of Herod for Christ's destruction? What drives Abram to Egypt? It is a famine. First, the Lord moves him to one place, and now they get there and get settled. We don't really know how much time has passed, but now there's a famine in the land, and now they've got to load up again and go down to Egypt. You might say, in the words of Amos, to describe Christ's descent into Egypt, that there was a famine of the word in the land in the days of Christ. And yet here, you have a famine of bodily nourishment that would drive Abram and his multitudes into Egypt. And as I hinted at earlier, the final scene in Genesis 12, it mirrors in some significant ways our text this morning from 1 Samuel 21. And this, like 1 Samuel 21, is a highly debated text. Abram in going down into Egypt, right? You know the story. He uses deception in order to spare his wife. Some people say he's being selfish, only worried about himself, didn't care if, uh, if Sarah died. I don't think you'd necessarily have to draw that conclusion. I do wonder if he knew how important she was to him in order to fulfill the promise of making a great nation. I mean, in order for people to be fruitful and multiply, you need two, not one. It seems to me he would have known that with the promise of God that had been given to him, and Sarah certainly would have been involved. He would have known that. Though she was barren, Abram also knew his own role in this because the promise was given to him, not to Lot or to anybody else. And similar to the way that Abram believed that in his sacrifice of Isaac, you know how the book of Hebrews says that he believed that even if he sacrificed Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead? I believe that same idea is in play here with Sarah, that he is working just like David was in his deception in faith, although weak faith, right, questionable faith. But he needed to have his and her life spared. If he admitted that they were married, they would just kill him and take her. So he did what he thought needed to be done. He used a certain type of wisdom. And look at how the Lord's provision comes in and begins to show in his fulfilling of the promise to bless Abram. Notice that we're not told how Pharaoh knew, right? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? I guess he deduced because all these plagues had come upon him and his people, and 
that was the only thing that had really changed maybe in his life, whatever the case is. But God is beginning already to fulfill his promise all the way back from verse 3. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. What God is doing is uh, providing for Abraham, but he's protecting that promise, right? Because through Abram and Sarah, the promise was going to come to be, just as through Eve, the, the promised seed would come. That's carried on through Abram and Sarah, and by God's working, and even by Abram's working. Kind of using the idea of the two different camera angles from this morning. You see Abram's work, and then you see God's work. But it's ultimately the same picture, that God was sovereignly orchestrating this preservation of Abram and Sarah because of their role to play in redemption. So I'll point you back to the two points and then those creation, the new creation realities, and then we're done. Remember the parallels between our call and Abram's call. That just as uh, God called him out of a place into another, so God calls us out of our sin and into the new life of the land that is ours in Christ. And we walk in sanctification. Abram receives, he responds in obedience and faith, God blesses him, and then he worships. And then uh, the big picture again, how Genesis 12 shows us so much of the Bible. It points us to Adam. It points us to God's creation story, how he's restoring that in Abram, but it also points us to Christ and how God was even prefiguring our Savior through the work of Abram, the original father in this text. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, we ask...